0: So welcome to our next episode of Simulcast and in in this episode we're going to be looking at delivery formats and I was inspired to set this up with Jesse because of a recent article in the BMJ Stell magazine entitled Live, Die, Repeat, a novel instructional method incorporating recursive objective-based gameplay in an emergency medicine simulation curriculum. Now that sounds like a mouthful, but believe me, it's a fascinating read about essentially some gamification elements introduced to our delivery formats. And so today we've been very fortunate to be joined by two of the authors of that article to run us through about what this is, what its educational advantages are, and perhaps challenge the notions about us doing something like a SIM followed by a debrief or simple pause and discuss. So to introduce our guests, uh, the first author of this paper is a lady by the name of Carmen Sunga, and she is an emergency physician at Mayo Clinic over in Minnesota. And Daniel Cabrera, who many of our listeners would know because he's very active on social media. He's also an emergency physician at Mayo and the editor-in-chief of their Mayo Clinic EM blog. And he will be speaking at SMAC. So welcome, Carmen and Daniel.
1: Hello, thank, thank you very much. Thank you, thank you.
0: So I might hand over to Jesse, who's going to lead us through a bit of a discussion about uh, how this came to happen.
2: Well, thanks Vic. Um, Thanks Daniel and Kameen as well. I've got to make a fair disclosure here, I could geek out a fair bit here because I'm a massive fan of of games like Halo and um, also the (laughs) film Edge of Tomorrow as well, so we're really setting ourselves up here to interview the um, Tom Cruise and Emily Blunt of the simulation world at the moment. Uh, so, <laughs> so just to kind of um, give us a bit of an overview of what we're discussing, Daniel uh, and Carmen, the concept of um, of applying a gamification or a different sort of style into um, into a, your residency simulation program. Can you just give us an overview of what exactly you guys did?
1: Uh, so, let me start, and then we're gonna go through Carmen. Uh, What we did uh, about two years ago, we used this new model in order to try to improve uh, the skills of our residents in terms of resuscitation. So everything started when one of our residents was uh, basically giving us feedback about the complexity of the cases. Even the cases were complex the classic delivery of the simulation. She was a little bit concerned that some of the details or nuances of the uh, uh, really sick patients were not captured in the format. And from some accident, a few days after, I watched this movie, The Edge of Tomorrow. And when I was watching the movie, I had this thought about, well, what this guy is doing is actually deliberate practice. He's practicing this many, many times, many, many times, getting better and getting some coaching from the, uh, uh, the other, uh, lead character. So I just have the idea of using this idea of, um, going back to the same place where you left the, the same place where you die, at least in the movie and start again and use what you learned in order to improve your performance.
3: Yes. And so Daniel had actually only been with our SIM group for about a year when he came up with this idea. And we had pretty much just been doing start to finish cases with debriefs in between each case, uh, which had worked well, I think, for the residency. But in the past, what had been the best thing, I think, is when each case was able to build on at least one element from the first one and incorporated that element in the second case so that the residents could practice. So I thought that this idea that Daniel came up with was wonderful because it was a way to take this uh, idea of, again, practicing what you'd learned from the previous, but incorporating it into a single case with multiple levels and making it fun because it was a game.
2: Excellent. So to make that a little bit more tangible, possibly for the listeners who aren't massive nerds like myself, um, the concept really is driven out of that recursive objective-based um, gameplay where you make, it, make an advance into a level die but then start right back at the start and have to advance past that point of complexity that you'd actually died at so that uh, leveraging off the movie which is where that live die repeat um, concept comes from with Edge of Tomorrow was essentially Tom Cruise's character in a Groundhog Day sort of scenario um, woke up not knowing where he was, um, a, a former soldier, oh, sorry, a current soldier, and um, had to progress his way through this increasingly complex situation, and he'd die and go back to the exact same point that he'd woken up at each time. He found himself the mentor with um, with Emily Blunt's character, um, who actually the pair of them started to progress forward to essentially trying to finish the objective, which fits kind of nicely with, the con- uh, with, with adding some stakes and some um, pressure to the scenario, but still giving the opportunity to go back and fix the things that didn't work the first time around. Does that sound like a fair sort of summary?
1: Yeah, absolutely. That's a, the perfect summary. So each level or each um, scenario have a critical task that needs to be achieved. And either the learner... Will achieve the task or will fail the task, and using the game uh, sort of paradigm, what we told them is: you, uh, your game over in case they didn't achieve the task, or the game was uh, stop or pause just to debrief after uh, the critical action was met.
2: Excellent. So, I guess you you touched on it um, in the intro, but uh, but. I wanted to drill down into a little bit more. It sounds like quite an engaging format, um, but from an educational point of view, what's, what's your rationale for using that format? Is it linked to any sort of educational theory or underpinned by a particular concept that you wanted to discuss?
3: Oh, definitely. I, you know, Daniel mentioned it, and I think Victoria as well, the idea of deliberate practice. You can only be able to improve upon your performance if you know... The, the correct performance and so some of the residents had mentioned in past simulations that it was nice to be able to debrief and say well this is actually the action that you should have done in the case but then afterward if you're moving on to a whole new set of scenarios then you don't ever get a chance to practice it yourself and so the idea of if you did not complete the objective in one level and you stop and debrief and tell everyone exactly what actions were expected, and then going back into the game, rewinding, if you will, allowing the residents to be able to then practice again, it it helps them to master the task, and um, it was really something that the residents commented on afterward that that they were able to um, benefit from.
1: The other two things uh, that I believe are important for this format are, number one, flow, and number two, gamification, obviously. In terms of flow, I think it's very important uh, for the residents to try to practice or at least visualize themselves. And this is something that uh, you, Jesse, know way more than I do. Uh, In this thin line between the stress of the situation and uh, the the, you know, when a situation is really bored or you're disengaged. This very thin line of an optimal uh, performance and an optimal psychological experience. And the second thing is the gamification part. And here I have a little bit of uh, a pet peeve or agenda. Uh, my problem with gamification in medical education is, is typically lame. And the first rule of a good game is it cannot be lame. Many of the uh, uh, gamified medical education I've seen is quite boring. Doesn't create a myth, doesn't create identity of the player. And that's one of the things that I thought was important using this idea of the uh, live die repeat and giving them the uh, visual context of the age of tomorrow. Try to create a sort of uh, engagement and try to give them the idea of what uh, a player looks like in this universe. Yeah, that's
2: that's excellent. That's really interesting. Um, the uh, as you're saying, yeah, that that emotional activation of the learners of getting that in the right place, and I, I think knowing that there's increasingly difficult stakes. My experience in um, sort of the scenario debrief retry scenario have been a bit stilted in that um, my a lot of them have been observed in um, things like anaesthetic cases where essentially they're debriefed and then go in and just do the exact same scenario to the exact same endpoint. So there's not actually a, an increasing stakes for the next phase of the scenario. So I find that really, really interesting. And you touched on the concept of flow. of uh, And one of that core principles of flow as a, I guess, a psychological and a performance principle is the need for adversity to access those flow states where you're getting to a point of um, almost autonomy and that, that repeated um, application of the earlier phases certainly something really interesting because you allow with repeating dosing of that, that early phase and it was something observable in the Edge of Tomorrow movie a sense of uh, autopilot working through almost subconsciously through the early phases so that's a really, really cool concept.
1: Uh, one thing that is also important to say is we were a little bit concerned about the stress that the uh, scenario may create. The very first time we did this was a, uh, a case of respiratory failure, that the patient uh, ends up dying regardless what you do, uh, and we were concerned because it was a very stressful scenario. So we made clear at the beginning of the uh, of the of the day, at the, the first uh, briefing about the scenario, that this was a Kobayashi Maru sort of a scenario. Whatever you do, you're going to lose. And I think that also will help the emotional part of the uh, of the performance.
0: Don't forget the Kobayashi Maru, you can cheat and then win.
1: <laughs> like life in general. That's
0: right, for the Star Trek fans out there.
2: <laughs> yeah, so that, that kind of gets us into a nice spot. Um, you've, you've touched on, I guess, uh really laying down the principles of psychological safety and making what is going to be largely quite an unpredictable experience for the participants and the faculty to that degree the first few times you ran this um, as predictable as possible um, to allow them to I guess buy in and sign on to that fiction contract with it. What, so that s- segues us pretty nicely to talking about you've developed the scenario Take us through essentially how you prepared the participants in a bit more of a concrete description and um, almost kind of run us through a a bit of a verbal simulation of what that scenario looks and felt like.
1: So the very first time we did this and the subsequent times we have done it, we have used really ill, uh, really sick patients. Uh, with the idea of a patient that can deteriorate and you know situation can happen with any sort of intervention uh, the first time was a respiratory failure the second time was a, a electric storm basically ventricular tachycardia the third time was a pregnancy that everything goes south and a few other scenarios so just to put it in more concrete terms uh, the first scenario was a patient that uh, comes to the emergency department uh, with severe respiratory stress and the critical action at that time as recognition of the uh, respiratory stress and also being aggressive with ventilation even with bipap so you go through that level the second level in uh, that day was that the patient develops uh, pneumothorax because of the bipap and we would like to discuss complications of positive pressure and the critical action is they need to recognize the uh, pneumothorax as fast as they can and perform either a needle decompressor or a finger thoracostomy. Uh, when, once they go through that level, level three, is uh, the patient develops uh, acute right-sided heart failure. And the, fir- and the critical action is, of course, recognition, uh, use of IV fluids and vasopressors. After that, level four for that case uh, the, is the diagnosis of what's going on. And we try to uh, push them to diagnose a massive pulmonary embolism using a bedside echo. Of course, if the patient goes to CT, as you may suspect, the patient will die in CT. So they need to diagnose the massive PE with echo and act upon. Level five, uh, once the uh, a massive pulmonary embolism was diagnosed, is the use of uh, thrombolysis. This patient has an obvious uh, massive PE, so it needs to be thrombolized. If they try to uh, admit to an ICU before doing the right action or they try to delay the thrombolysis, patient uh, dies and the game is over. Number six, after the patient uh, gets diagnosed with pulmonary embolism, gets TPA for the pulmonary embolism, develops acute alveolar hemorrhage and goes into ARDS. And the critical action is recognition and management of the ARDS. And level seven uh, for that case is the patient on ARDS becomes uh, a refractory to ventilation and the idea is to put the case on ECMO, and that's the last critical action.
3: But I think the important thing is that that's seven levels of very difficult diagnoses and management, and if you were just to let the resident go from start to finish, there's no way they'd be able to achieve all of the correct actions in a 30-minute timeframe. And so, again, with each level, there was one specific critical action that you're supposed to uh, achieve, and if you get it, then we pause the game. There's a, a computer screen actually in the simulation room where we flash up a green sign that says game paused if you achieve the action. And this is where the gamification comes in. If you fail the action, for instance, in the first level, if you fail to put the patient on uh, BiPAP or CPAP, there's a big red sign that flashes up that says game over. And I think all the residents understand that, oh, you know, that's it's kind of a fun thing to to be able to say, well, yes, I failed this level, but I, I, I'm going to get another chance at it in the next stage. And so with each debriefing, you, you talk about again, what went well, what could have gone better. And uh, there are very specific debriefing points that we have for each level, just the same as very specific objectives that we have for each level. And that's essentially how the game goes with a little bit of uh, more behind the scenes in terms of the teams of residents and an emergency nurse that go in each time as well.
0: And I think that's really good to see the deliberate practice theory, because that depends on having very clear expected participant actions, which you obviously have. Uh, And I'm not sure if you want to comment, because sometimes our scenarios aren't always, they don't have such clear expected participant actions. It seems to me you've chosen your scenarios well in that regard.
3: Uh, it's That's the the whole key to this. If you don't have the clear objectives, then there's no point in it, I, I think, in terms of being able to advance to the next stage. It's just like a video game in that regard.
1: That is a key part of the delivery format. The critical actions need to be stone-cold clear.
2: So, touching on that, I, I... I guess the you, you've discussed a little bit about how you how you administer the pauses and then breaking back into the the debriefs and um, I, moving. How how did you actually control the flow of the scenario from within? Because obviously, when you've got very very specific um, uh, learner actions that are required, and there's there's that still that element of simulitis that can creep in with um with with the requisite cues for them to progress through those diagnostic dilemmas. Um, what sort of techniques did you use during the scenario delivery to actually move those actions in the direction that um, you wanted them to?
3: I don't know that we, we forced it. We actually um, had a time set in, in terms of the patient, or excuse me, the resident had to achieve the critical action within five minutes from game on. And if they didn't we just ended it and really didn't try to force it in any way so it's built in in terms of uh, timing
2: you didn't experience too much um issues with case ambiguity or or sort of simulation failure to present the right cues um there wasn't a frustration from any of the participants
1: or so it's funny you mentioned this in the first case for the uh, respiratory failure uh, there was very little deviation of what we expected from the residents, and I think it's because the case is uh, sort of straightforward. Uh, and the very little deviation from the expected behavior, uh, basically, we let them fail and we let them do did whatever they thought was right, and we debrief about it. There was a third uh, scenario that uh, we did some months later about a patient that goes into um, the uh, Uh, becomes preeclampsic and status and develops uh, DIC. And that case is a little bit more uh, uh, open for different behaviors about what's going on. And we require a lot of... Interventions in that case, particularly through um, I don't know what the term you use uh, for them, but we typically use the term confederate, is one of the respiratory therapists who uh, acts a, as our agent during the simulation, and we need to uh, help them using that, mostly because they wanted to call surgery immediately before you know treating the DIC um, prior to calling surgery. So there is a little bit of deviation from the expected behavior, but I will tell you significantly less that we expected at the beginning.
2: So that, that kind of takes us into um, discussing a little bit about how it was received by the learners, um, and in particular, how you chose to measure this for your publication evaluation of the, the concept.
3: Yes, so we wanted to be able to essentially see if this new format would achieve the Kirkpatrick uh, level one Evaluation in terms of the residents accepting it as a tool that was engaging and relevant to their their daily job. And so when we looked at the literature, there was a paper by Elfrink et al. from 2012. It was a nursing group actually who had formulated a um, survey. It was called the Simulation Effectiveness Tool based on the perceptions learner, or the, the learners' perceptions of whether or not the simulation that they had created met their needs in terms of their uh, learning and confidence afterward. And so we took the paper that uh, L. Frank wrote and the simulated uh, simulation effectiveness tool that they came up with, and we tweaked it just a tiny bit because again, this was for nursing students, and we just made the language uh, relevant to physicians and used that exactly for the evaluation. And all of the uh, domains, there are 13, all of them were met with overwhelmingly positive responses. Um, There were 17 residents out of the 20 who actually answered the survey and only one of them out of all of the domains uh, disagreed that the the simulation was effective. Uh, So we we felt it was a, a great response. And we've had great buy-in. We have many residents who say they only want to do live-die-repeat from now on in simulation.
2: Are there three key pieces of advice that you could give to uh, other simulation educators that are interested in trialing this sort of format?
1: Um, I, I will repeat what we said a few minutes before. You need to have a really clear understanding of the overall narrative of the case, and you need to be completely sure about each critical action. I think that will be number one.
3: Well, I would say number two, you really have to let the residents know it's a safe environment and that the cases are going to get progressively harder and harder and there's absolutely no win- way to win the game and so that the patient's going to deteriorate no matter what you do and that's going to uh, make them feel a little bit more at ease given the new format.
1: The third point I will say is has to do with the uh, debriefing. Um, these are relatively short debriefings after each uh, level. Uh, we typically do, at least in, in our program after, after the cases, a relatively long uh, debriefing, of 30 minutes. So these debriefings, because we have uh, sometimes about 10 times, uh, uh, 10 instances of doing the debriefing, needs to be relatively short. So you need to be able to provide a safe environment. You need to able to uh, identify what the problems were and you need to be able to discuss the case and also provide feedback for the uh, positive actions in a relatively short period of time. So you need to prepare your debriefing and you need to be prepared for your debriefing uh, quite well.
2: So we might actually flip it a little bit and see how, how your experiences of um, trialing the live, die, repeat format have gone, Vic.
1: Yeah,
0: thanks, Jesse. As I said, I was so impressed reading this article, not only because I'm also a fan of science fiction films and gamification, but because it made so much sense. And in reading it, I was thinking about our student simulations and in particular, this idea about getting a chance to redo something that might not have gone perfectly. Because I assume similar to Daniel and Carmine, in our student simulations, we would do a scenario that would go for 15 odd minutes. We do a debrief for 20 or 25 minutes. And of course, we would bring out all these lovely ideas about things they could do to improve. And then it's weeks, months, ages, until they get a chance to apply what they'd learnt in that debrief. So to my mind, what this offered was the opportunity to forego some of that long debrief for a chance to practise again something that you'd had some feedback on. That said, I realised that our medical students were not in the same place as Daniel and Carmine's emergency medicine residents. They were not going to be able to suffer through a life-threatening scenario and have a chance at managing it independently. So our scenarios, it did need to be adapted for our scenarios, which are obviously much simpler. But I hope I sort of took the lessons about thinking about the expected participant actions, but turned them into simple things like, receives the handover appropriately, applies oxygen when a patient has hypoxia, provides analgesia when a patient needs pain relief. So it forced me to be really clear on what those participant actions were, but obviously they were a whole degree down from the descriptions that Daniel and Carmine had made. So that said, just for people who are interested in trying new ideas, uh, the generosity of authors like Daniel is a legend. I wrote to him and said, this seems great. I'm thinking of doing it for my medical students. Can you tell me a bit more about what you actually do? And that was, he was very generous with his advice about how they'd use the stop, go ideas, looking through the structure of the scenarios. So I rewrote a couple of our scenarios that we'd used for our final year students into this format with a best guess at where I thought those pauses were going to be. So an example scenario that we've got is someone who presents with shortness of breath and probably the diagnosis uh, is a, a heart failure and but it takes a little while for the students to get there. And literally the first phase is walk in, receive the handover, communicate with the patient, recognize hypoxia and administer oxygen. And we will often pause our scenario after that and really just see if people have had a good job of that initial phase of patient and nursing staff interaction, as well as providing initial empiric treatments. So we prepared our learners by telling them a little bit about what it was going to be like. We suggested also that they watch the Edge of Tomorrow just as Daniel did. And we also prepared our faculty by explaining how it was going to happen. And in particular, our simulated patients, because we use SPs as our patients in these scenarios. I, of course, had to go first, because if this was going to crash and burn, it was going to be my responsibility. Uh, and in fact, what we did the first time round is we actually made a video of my approach to the flow and debriefing of it to share with other faculty as they thought about how they were going to translate their usual debriefing approach to this idea about pause and potentially go back and rewind. We take an option about whether we feel like we want to go back a stage or whether we feel like, yep, we did that, it was pretty good, let's just keep going from here. But we would often pause about four or five times during our 45-minute total time to have a short debrief and then either go back and redo or continue the scenario from where it was. So we haven't done a formal measurement yet, but uh, we've certainly had really good feedback from our students. They do still do things in the other format in some of their other sims. I don't know that I would be in a race to say it's um, all extremely much better and we'll do it all like that, but I think it's a really valuable format. And I personally think that chance to have another go after getting some feedback on initial actions is a really valuable thing for the students. So we've certainly found it useful, and I'm so glad that Daniel and Carmine wrote it up. Well, I'm, I'm really glad that
3: you tried it with medical students because as we wrote in the paper... We, it seems to work for emergency medicine residents, but we have no idea what it's going to be like for other types of learners, and whether or not this type of uh, format even works for non-emergent conditions. And so, I think you're going to be answering some of those questions for us. Hopefully, you'll you'll share with us the results of the assessment.
0: Yeah, and I think that's a good point about non-emergency conditions because. I think you're right, it works really well if you've got these life-threatening things the way that you describe it. But I think it's got plenty of potential beyond that for communication type scenarios or other things, even procedural and technical type scenarios. Uh, And so hopefully we'll have plenty of others keen to adopt the same ideas about trying it out.
2: So we might actually wrap up at that point. Just um, if we want to bring it all together, Vic, can you summarise your three key take-home learnings from um, reading the paper, talking to Daniel and Kameen today and also uh, trialling this yourself?
0: Sure. So I would say, number one, think about other formats for your simulation delivery, in particular those that might add engagement and a chance for real deliberate practice. Number two, go and watch Edge of Tomorrow and help that uh, influence a broader perspective. And number three, my take home really is, as you just said, uh, think about connecting with others in the simulation community so you can take on those new formats, get some good advice, and think about whether your delivery format is actually matching the objectives you're trying to achieve.
2: On that note, I'd like to say a massive thank you to Daniel and Carmine for your time and um, inspiration as well. Thank you.